Welcome back to Frenemies. My name is Julia Hartwig and I am a passionate marketer and today joined by two men. First of all, the one and only Mr. Sales, Ahmed Abarek. And then we're also today welcome uh, Mark Denier, the founder of uh, StageSet uh, to the podcast. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me. Yes, so today we want to talk about um, how it is to uh, to uh, have a startup um, and how it is to drive a startup in 2023 and bring uh, sales and marketing uh, to the next level. So, uh, yeah, can you give us a bit of background on yourself and Stage Set? Mm -hmm. Sure. So, my name is Mark. I'm the co-founder of Stage Set, and uh, Stage Set, for those who don't know helps B2B sellers to win more deals in less time. And with StageSet, basically, sellers share with their buyer all sales resources, document, and next steps on one personalized page. Uh, this helps to get uh, buy-in from everybody involved on the uh, buyer team. It streamlines deals from first call to onboarding, and it tracks buyer engagement uh, so that Sellers know who is involved, when are they engaged, and which resources buyers interact with. And yeah, so that's about stage set. About me personally, I've been working in sales most of my professional life. I've been doing uh, sales internationally. So I've been working with clients from all over the world, starting from Australia, going to South Africa, the U.S., Uh, India, really any place out there. And uh, around last year, I made the decision to as well found my own startup based on the experiences, based on the experience that I made during that journey. And it got me here today with you. So, <laughs> And we're uh, very glad about that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, you. as far as I could see, stage set so far is, uh, is you and your brother, right? Um, so you're a two-man army. Not, not only two men. So we also have a team of developers. But from the business side, it's really just my brother and me mainly who lead the business. Um, yeah. And how do, you, how do you have the responsibilities split? Because obviously, as co-founders, uh, there's a lot of heads to wear, especially if you don't have you know, mm -hmm. sales and marketing functions, uh, but you're doing that all by yourself. How do you, how do you balance that? Um, it's... There's really like at this stage where we are as a company, you kind of try to split work and then end up doing everything anyway, because <laughs> it's just, it's, it's way to, there's things coming left and right, and you kind of have to do them uh, as they come along. So what I'm doing is I'm helping, like, it starts from, for example, the product design, talking about, okay, how do we have to design our product? What's the new product features that we have to launch? Uh, I have to manage kind of on the tech side as at least our CTO as well in terms of, okay, what are the things that we're going to prioritize for the upcoming week? There's marketing that we have to set up in order to get people to our website. And then we need to um, also have those founder-led sales, talk to the relationships we have, get customer feedback. So there's really a lot of things that we have to do. And while we split tasks for each week, each day, we still end up like sometimes crossing over lines and ending up doing different things that just come on our table. So I think that this really uh, separation of work is something that comes uh, 
more pronounced at the at the later stage uh, of our journey. Uh, yeah. I, I totally feel you on that point. I mean, uh, leading the marketing team at a startup, uh, it's basically the same for me. Um, it's a lot of uh, different hats to wear and a lot of, uh, in Danish, you say it, a lot of different balls to juggle. Um, so I also end up kind of uh, doing a, a little bit of uh, of everything, but uh, that's also one of the parts I enjoy. So I assume uh, you do too. <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel also there's there's always this element, and maybe it's a bit more pronounced in in our startup because it's my brother and me. This element of kind of throwing ideas at one another, uh, because two brains are better than one brain usually. Exactly. If you, um, because I think if you have a lot of people involved, it can get a bit messy. But two people is quite a good format because you can challenge each other, and. I'm not sure how that works on your side. I'd be curious to hear as well. But for example, in what I learned from making a startup is that sometimes you have a good idea or yeah. you feel like you have a good idea and you kind of identify with this idea. And then you show it to like somebody else, like you're, in our case, my brother. And he's like, nah, Mark, that's kind of not really what we should be doing. And you start to actually question what you came up with. And I think that kind of throwing uh, ideas back and forth Uh, challenging each other, um, I think, is an important part, um, I think, in every startup in the early stages. So I'm very happy, actually, that I have my brother for that as well. But I, I completely agree. But I would say, I mean, you know, because I have experience also from from enterprise-sized uh, companies, that in, in any company, um, that is a really important part um, of, the, of the process and of uh, innovating and coming to the next level and, and driving growth. Um, mm. I think actually that is a part that leads us very much to the sales and marketing alignment because it works very much in the same way. Actually having people from different teams sitting together to collaborate and to brainstorm, I feel like is very, very effective in, in you know, driving that, uh, that alignment and going towards uh, a common goal. For brainstorm specifically, I think there are different methods and it always depends on what the purpose of the of the brainstorm is i like both brainstorms that go really like wild and you just really throw like insane ideas out there because a lot of times there is still something at the end um and you know there's a lot of ideas that are a bit <laughs> too much um but there is still often outcomes that um you know that you can uh, take away and form and shape other ideas um, that are you know more feasible and, and scope those out. Um, so I wouldn't actually put the cap of, of two people on uh, on that uh, for me personally. But uh, you know even brainstorms I feel like always need a proper agenda and framing of what is actually the outcome we're expecting of this brainstorm. Where do we yes. want to want mm -hmm. to get? Because else it can be a fun session of one hour with random ideas, but actually you don't really take anything away. Mm -hmm. So it's also very important. I feel like in this, in this process to, you know, guide people towards the same kind of uh, direction of it's still very clear mm -hmm. what we're talking about and why we're talking about that. I feel the important part there. And this is on one hand, of course, sales marketing is one aspect of it, but also when you found a startup in general, mm -hmm. You always start up from, okay, what's actually the problem? What are we trying to solve? Uh, because without this, you're just going to end up coming up with cool things, but you're not really doing the priorities that you should as a team. So I think I, I liked, I could relate very well to what you said in terms of whenever you do a brainstorm, 
you first have to know, okay, what's actually the goal of the brainstorm? What problem do we solve? And is that as well actually a priority for now? So I think that's really a good point. I, I'm very uh, glad to hear that you say that with kind of the product market fit and what problem you're trying to solve. Because, I mean, we come kind of from a development the last five years where solutions were just popping up everywhere. And I think especially this year and last year, a lot of them are actually finding that they're missing exactly that, the product market fit and the specific mm -hmm. idea on what is it actually we're trying to solve. And that, of course, relates very much, I feel like, to, to the product roadmap and looking strategically at like, okay, how do we want to develop and what else are needs of our customers, of our like buyer personas um, that we want to that we want to solve and where this is kind of going and also what are their expectations. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good point to start like that. But how do you feel about, so you said the um, stage that was founded last year, so obviously, like right now, economically, uh, macroeconomically, not the the easiest time to uh, mm -hmm. to uh, lead a startup. So how are you seeing this and, and approaching this? I feel like there's two parts to that answer. So first one is, if you can solve the problem of a customer, if you can bring value to them, then even in a difficult time, they will be ready to buy from you. I think what we saw in the last years is especially that kind of people were jumping on a hype train sometimes and like just, okay, we need this, others have that. Uh, there's as well on the investment side of things, a lot of startups got funding for any kind of idea they came sure. up with. It was way okay. easier than it is nowadays. But I still feel like even in the most difficult situation, if you can show a client, then what you're offering is bringing them value then you will also be able to sell to them even in a down phase. So for us, it's really about um, we never really think or trying to come up with excuses. It's kind of maybe more difficult this year. It's really just about, okay, there's a problem. Client has a problem. We have to show them that they have this problem. And if they realize that, if they see the value, if they see that our product brings them not just like a small increase in value, but a big jump, then we, we can be sure that they are also willing to take money in the hand and actually use our tool or any kind of product on the market as well. That's a, yeah, that's a great approach. Another question I have is, you know, as a marketer, I, of course, love uh, data and relying on, uh, on data before I rely on, uh, on stomach feeling. But of course, like, you know, mm -hmm you are missing data because you haven't been around for, for 10 years. At least uh, your company hasn't been around for 10 years. So how do you actually build goals and targets? What exactly do you mean with goals of targets? Um, I mean, you must have like, you know, as you, as you have in investors, you must have like targets for this year of like how many customers you want to sign, um, how your, how your funnel is supposed to look like and things like that. So how do you, how do you actually build that out without, you know, having a lot of data to rely on to say, okay, this is what our conversion rates look like. And this is our ICP, for mm -hmm. example. I think this, again, it depends a bit on the stage you are in as a startup. So if you are in this first kind of phase where you're still looking for product market fit, any kind of plan is not very reliable uh, because you're not yet at the point where you can actually scale sales in a regular manner. Mm. So once you reach product market fit, 
uh, at that point, uh, I feel like it targets can become more um, accurate as you can actually have some data and you can kind of uh, see as well on the first talks how um, impactful your solution is and how people are responding to your outreach. So for us, it's really at the first stage when we were still finding product market fit, it's very difficult to say exactly, hey, it's not like next month we will have product market fit, right? It's like, okay, we have to, we feel like we're on the right direction. We feel like we can uh, find it over the next uh, months. Uh, but once you found it, and for example, we feel like uh, we've, we've reached that milestone, at that point, you're also starting to talk to different people, have some outreach messages that resonate, that then also convert into using your product. Maybe to give some more context before you have product market fit, so oftentimes what happened with us is that we had a message, we brought that message out, people were like, yes, great, we can get behind that. So we knew we'd go in the right direction, but maybe product-wise, development-wise, we were not just there yet. So at that point, it's still, okay, we know it has potential, but we cannot yet say when we will be at that point exactly. Mm. So, yeah, so I feel like once you have the product market fit, uh, you can set those goals and they will still be vague, of course, and the more data you have, the more accurate they will be. But really before that, there's no way to just um, make an accurate prediction as a startup. I feel like that's when we were asked to make like financial projections, like how many will you do in the first year before we have product market fit to kind of submit to some kind of investor pitch or something. I always felt that's kind of, uh, I think investors more want to see can you actually, do you actually understand how to set up targets? Do you actually know what comes into your product? What factors are at play? But I don't think they really rely on the actual numbers that you provide because they are so based on so little evidence that it's really hard to actually, mm, to actually use them. And the same with like retention rate, right? Okay, we don't have any user leaving us for the last two months. Does that mean we have a good retention rate or not? Not really, it's not really useful as an information. So I think it really depends at what stage you are. Um, and before that, there's really just no way to make it super accurate. That's true. But, you know, also what you said on retention rate, obviously, as a marketer, I would uh, I would sell that as a big point <laughs> that would be on the website straight away. <laughs> Zero retention, like everybody is staying 100% loyal customers. That's how what I would spin out of that. <laughs> the thing is, there's not just quantitative data, yeah. right? There's also qualitative data. So it's also like you talk with people and you feel like, they are enthusiastic about what you do. They bring you a lot of inputs. They say like, hey, that's great. Let's, what about doing this? What about doing that? And when you see that qualitative like feedback from your client, you can make some kind of projection as well about the retention rate. But still, it's still difficult, of course, to, to make it super accurate. And you talked about... Um you know, that there is no kind of um, optimized sales process yet. So how do you, you know, right now test and 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 scale uh, the sales process as you're also kind of just, you know, shooting out in the dark, trying to see what, what works and how people respond? So a lot comes down, I think, to we still collect the data. We just 
we might realize from this data that the current approach is not fully working some, from time to time, but it's still important to write it down. So for example, whenever we have a sales call, we afterwards write down like a big summary, which industry, which person, what was their feedback, what might be a blocker, like all of those things very systematically so that we can go back in time and watch like the last three months and check, okay, what actually changed? What are actually the, the certain points that our clients raise up? We do the same thing when we also launch, for example, an outreach campaign. Um, so for, for those things, it's still all about actually capturing the, the data, not just go about and like, let's just do things. And at the end of the week, yeah, it was kind of successful or not. So it's still important about documenting every approach we do. And then really based on that, come to a determination, okay, what's the most efficient way for us uh, to actually streamline customer acquisition? I mean, that is really uh, what is fantastic to uh, to talk uh, with someone that is from the German-speaking region as well, because I love uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> tracking and documenting as well. And uh, again, I mean, just having been at, uh, at companies that, you know, had a lot of historical data, but um, in different systems, I think you're really going to thank yourself in five years for uh, for keeping a good track of exactly yeah, all of this information, absolutely. because uh, then you're really going to need it and can make use of it. <laughs> The thing is, as a seller, like in my previous company, which was name was Electronique, which was like a Y Combinator backed RPA, RPA startup. And they always ask me after every sales call, you have to write down like all of those feedback. And I was like, come on, like I want to focus on selling. I want to do my calls, do, do that thing. And now I changed into the founder position. And I'm like, okay, I get it now. <laughs> like, I really get it, what you actually meant there. So, yeah, that was also a big learning. I think once you change the shoes um, from like when, you, when you're into, when you're actually as an account executive working, of course, you also have to make kind of thoughts. Is it uh, for which kind of uh, ICP, like is your product? Where is the feedback there? But you're still less, oftentimes you kind of follow the guide of somebody above, but this kind of getting this information from the salesperson up to kind of the executive team is really where documentation is super important. And this is something that we realize now that we implement as well strictly. Yeah, I, I can only agree. And I mean, the same as, you know, there's a very good reason why I'm in marketing and not sales. Um, but, um, you know, <laughs> being in sales once in a while and stepping in these shoes uh, helps a lot at um, gaining more understanding and perspective. And of course, at the end of the day, also respect for what it means to be an SDR and, you know, get to hang up on mm -hmm. the phone. Um, but also just in terms of, of hearing how the messaging, um, like how people respond to the messaging that you create um, and, mm -hmm. and how that process actually looks like. So um, I'm also always a big, uh, a big fan of uh, switching these perspectives um, because it really, it really helps a lot. Um, and of course it's also, yeah, very interesting for you going from, from AE to all of a sudden founder mm -hmm. and, and your priorities are uh, very different um, and I expect that will only like uh, you know grow in the in the next years <laughs> yes I, I, that that's the goal that's what we're working for towards and I feel like sales marketing alignment is really crucial to being successful um, as a startup as a whole organization I think even if you grow out if you become a scale up and so more it's super important to 
get the feedback from the people on the front, which are usually the salespeople. So to get it back to the marketer to know as well, okay, what is actually there that resonated well with this specific customer. And obviously it's great that you already have kind of a focus on that because obviously like uh, CEOs play a key part in uh, in that and in setting teams up for success and allowing for an alignment structure and, you know, for, for people to collaborate and at parts go kind of beyond what their, what their scope or the scope of their department is about. Yes. But, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, in the, on this podcast, we also talk about um, tech and solutions a lot because it is a key part of what we uh, what we work with. Um, so how does it look like in your in your startup right now? Do you have a tech stack? Um, and if so, kind of what solutions um, are we talking about there? How do you prioritize these? So on the sales side of things, uh, obviously, we have a CRM system. We currently use Pipedrive. Uh, we have a sales engagement tool where we are using uh, Ample Market in order to drive our outreach campaigns. Uh, of course, we use StageSet ourselves uh, for uh, our prospects as well so that they can... It's always good to lead by example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And... On the sales side of things, those are the the main tools we are using. Okay. And actually, I had some questions as well, Julia. So, uh, Mark, what is the difference between selling an, another company's product and your own product? What was your feelings, you know, it's like the, also as a strategy, because it's a brand new, you know, it's like you have no reference <laughs> at the beginning. Mm-hmm. How was it like? You know, just wanted to learn more about that. I think there's when you sell a product, it's the structure, the overall structure, how you sell a product, it remains the same. I think what kind of identifier problem, all of that things stay the same, of course. But there are some differences in that as a as a founder, you really um, passionate about your product usually you kind of identify with your product to a large degree yeah. so one thing i oftentimes what i realize sometimes i do i start to go like into very passionate speeches when i'm on my sales calls and it's a bit more on that front it's a it's very it's just you're way more involved in every sales call you're it's super important for you to as well on the customer success kind of front like when people start to use your tool you're there like 24-7, uh, whatever happens, uh, you're uh, you're up there to help them. So I think it's just the involvement in the actual um, in the actual selling part that is very different. That is, of course, just the when it comes to the actual selling. But there's also a difference, I think, more significant in terms of when you start off as a startup. Um, you're not just going to build a product and then, okay, product is ready now. Now we're going to start to sell, right? That's not how it works. You sell when you don't even have a product. So the thing is, when you don't really have the product market, you don't even have a product yet. What it really comes down to is selling what you're doing, what you're selling your idea to a person, get them engaged, get them as well as a potential to once you are there, once you have the product ready, than to use it actually. So you kind of, that that's very different actually from a typical sales call, I'd say. 
from typical selling that I was used to. So it's, I think it's more, uh, if, if we break it down, it depends highly on the stage you are, which changes the selling part fundamentally. And then uh, once it's really just mostly the involvement that you have as you identify with your product to, to a very strong degree. So what would be, for example, and I was like, we talk about it. It is also a little bit a hard times for startups to sell also because, you know, they need to provide real value, etc. What would be the ad- advice for other founders out there who tries to sell their product right now uh, and find new customers? I feel like there's always a lot of parts that come together. So you can have the best value proposition. If your product doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? Yeah. You can have the best product. If, like there's always, it has to, everybody, every part has to play into a hole that you can then, uh, not just as a physical hole or like a digital hole, but also as like a messaging behind it. Uh, what I would say is really focus on the, messaging itself on what actually is the problem that your the customer your target has what is actually what do they not have right now and how can you make it 10 times better for them um i feel like too many like i feel like in sales oftentimes we sellers fall back into this area where they kind of try to sell a product try to sell some product features, but that's not what buyers want to buy. What they want is they want to buy a solution to their problem. And in order for you to really, uh, even in those difficult times, sell your product, you have to understand what's actually the problem of your buyer and then also show them how you can solve that. So I feel like that's really the key part, I think, in sales. Mm -hmm. So going a little bit so back stages of sales. So how do you, for example, by, by trying to find these um, product market fit, so how do you define your ICP? Like at the beginning, so I will sell it to sellers, but what kind of sellers? You know, it's like how do you refine mm-hmm. it? So what is the latest stage of it? How long it take if you really find those, your exact ICP? Mm-hmm. So... I can talk about stage set, but let me just first give you an example of the previous company I was. There we targeted, we had like one target group. We had like, I would say so-so results. Mm-hmm. One point we refined this ICP, slightly changed the product uh, in for that group and then the sales exploded. So adjusting, finding like this ICP precisely is super important. For us now at stage set, um, there's a lot of variables there, right? So are we talking to B2B sellers? Are we talking to sales leaders? Um, Are we talking to a specific industry? Are we talking to multiple industries? Uh, Do we talk to like sellers with small sales cycles or long sales cycles? So there's a lot of those different factors that we have to understand. And it really comes back to the fact of... Uh, thinking about the people and talking to them as well, super important, talking to those people that are in this specific niche. So, for example, uh, let's say technology, like industry or medical uh, 
tools uh, that have a long sales cycle that are actual B2B sellers. So like account executives and the like, what, how much does the problem you want to solve for them hurt them? And for some, it does more so than for others. So in our case, uh, for stage setting specific, if you have a simple example would be if you have like a kind of transactional sales, which means that you can, for example, sign up for a trial on a sales engagement platform, then you have one call with a seller and the, the deal is done. For example, the problem we want to solve is for those kind of sellers, super small. It's not really, we're not really adding a lot of, of value to them. On the other hand, sellers that have a long sales cycle, those are much more, um, actually can much better relate to, to what we're doing and what we're messaging to them as a solution to their problem. So uh, in that phase, it's really, how do we capture that? Uh, first off, we have to use our brains and really think about, okay, what are the different categories there? Um, then also imagine what do we think, kind of make a, a hypothesis, and then we have to talk to those people. Yeah. Uh, usually, um, when you talk to people, you can see if your message resonates, and you can get as well additional information from them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's it's great. You already talked about this earlier, but I think it's great. You're also you know really invested in talking to your customers. Um, because a lot of people, both in, in marketing, but also on, on, on C-level, forget about that part. Um, but it is, you know, such a strong part because, of course, especially as a startup from the get-go, you need to create a loyal customer base because that is what is going to ensure growth, right? Because if you lose that customer base, then you have to get a double the amount of new customers. Yes, so I think talking to existing customers is one aspect right talking to potential buyers or from a specific like niche that you want to kind of focus more on is another aspect and i feel there of course having more conversation is generally a good thing um, generally you should strive for that at the same time it's also important this goes back to the very beginning of our conversation you need to have as well kind of a goal of what you're actually wanting to find out in that conversation. So just going about and having lunch with a couple of people in your ICP, having a conversation might not be enough, right? So you really need to show them actually what the what you see as a problem and then get from them actually the feedback. How can they relate to this? Maybe they have different aspects. Maybe they say, hey, that's not a problem for us, right? And I feel like really structuring that um, conversations with prospects is as well an important part when doing kind of research on uh, ICP uh, on who, who do you want to target actually. Well, it was really enlightening. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you for having yeah. me. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always with Amit. I was talking already and following <laughs> as well your podcast, following uh, as well your LinkedIn page. So thank you very much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, giving us your insights. And obviously, uh, best of luck and all of the growth to to Stage Set. And uh, Ahmed and I will talk again next week. 